he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. Get me a gay, Mickey. Gotta get a gay. Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of In the Details. My name is Colin Drucker. This, of course, is a celebration of nuance where we analyze the acting choices, micro moments, and all of the tiny little nuances that um, excite me and make me want to make a whole podcast about them. So that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, but you probably already knew that because, you know, you're a loyal listener from day one, which was only a couple weeks ago can't believe Marty in week three. Uh, it's kind of like when you start a diet, right? You kind of have to like push past that um, that little hump where it's just kind of a thing you're doing and not quite a habit. Um, so I, not that this is like something I have to force myself to do, but it is super interesting. I don't know if it's interesting. It's probably not interesting at all, but it is an experience to kind of approach a solo podcast versus like one you do with a co-host or one you do, you know, when I, when I do, you know, the Drag Race episodes and All Right Mary and we're kind of, you know, following a template and also following something that's happened and using that as the model. Whereas here, I'm just kind of like, you know, making it up as I go along. Uh, maybe you can tell. So to that point, you know, I, I should say up front, one of the, you know, one of the lessons from Drag Race, right, is to never... Never overproduce yourself. You know, never produce yourself at all. Just be yourself. But certainly overproducing is is an issue. You know, and, and, and to that point, I also don't want to overproduce this podcast. So, for example, my plan for this episode originally, this was going to be the Tony Collette episode. And so I'm sorry if you're disappointed, but... I didn't get a chance to see Hereditary yet, and that's kind of the um, it's kind of the cornerstone of the episode. So uh, I think maybe next week or in the next couple weeks that will be coming out. I'm I'm super excited about it. Of course, of course. Who wouldn't be excited to go see Hereditary? Who wouldn't be excited to like talk about Tony Collette for forty five minutes? For God's sake. Um, and so then I was like, oh, okay, all right, well, no problem. I have lots of other ideas. And so then I thought, oh. Well, maybe I will do an episode on Call Me By Your Name, because when I was doing the Face Journeys episode, you know, a couple different people had mentioned, oh, you want to talk about Face Journeys, you should really watch Call Me By Your Name. And of course, I hadn't even seen it yet, and I felt like, like, I don't know, if, if there is a gay card that we're supposed to be carrying, I, I lost mine a long time ago. I've been using a computer printout, and it's, and it's probably expired, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't, I don't need to, like, affirm my membership, I think... What's it? Is there another way to do that? Do you just like sleep with enough men in a year and you hit your quota? Like, what is there? Can I just send a check in? You know. In any event, I um I suppose I should have seen, maybe call me by your name because you know it's a quote unquote modern gay classic and it's Oscar winning and Oscar nominated and and of course the nuance, the nuance, the nuance. And so I was like, well, I have all these reasons to see it. Now I should also say I haven't seen Moonlight yet. I haven't seen Carol yet. I really have kind of a modern queer cinema episode just like waiting, but I feel like each of those movies is going to want its own episode. So I started with Call Me By Your Name. I don't know. There's white privilege for you. I started about the, with the movie that was about the white guys uh, of the three, you know. Um, but I just was like, it, it was the most relevant, I guess, to um, in the details. I don't know. I just chose, I just picked one out of a hat. And I'll tell you, uh, maybe I should have gone with Carol. So I knew what Call Me By Your Name was about. And I knew that there were, I knew a couple things about it. I knew the dad was supposed to be really good in it. I knew there was like some, there were a couple great, th there was like a monologue towards the end. 
I knew that there was something with a peach, and of course I knew the basic premise about the 17-year-old kid and this guy and blah blah blah. Um, and if you don't know what Call Me By Your Name is about, like the real like abbreviated version is it's about this um, American, you know, postgrad who comes to Italy to work with this professor um, for the summer, like archiving and cataloging and um, meets the 17-year-old uh, son of this professor who is, you know, wise beyond his years and quite the intellectual um, and uh, also discovering his own burgeoning sexuality, which Oliver the American helps him discover. Um, that's, that's one way to see the plot, right? So I, you know... <laughs> The, the sort of first love plot line, like that's not new. And, and the, um, I think what, what was seemed exciting about this movie going in was that it was going to be, it wasn't going to be kind of like the typical sort of tortured love affair. Like I think of, I think of a movie like Edge of 17, which I consider to be a queer classic and very similar to this movie in a lot of ways. All I can say is you can draw a direct comparison to the father's monologue at the end of this movie and the mother at the end of Edge of Seventeen. And if they're not drawing a direct parallel, they're missing out. And so I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a storyline that I'm interested in, but I thought, well, maybe being made in 2017, we'll, we'll move on from some of the tropes, right? The, the forbidden love affair, the, you know, being hated by everyone around them, some sort of tragic Brokeback Mountain kind of ending. And that's no read of Brokeback Mountain. I don't think that it was an antiquated story. I just feel like, you know, we have so many stories of, of just these these gay romances just kind of ending in such great tragedy. And I thought, well, maybe this is this will be a different kind of story. And I'd also heard that, you know, it was beautifully made, blah, blah, blah. So I, there were a lot of reasons to watch it. So I did. And I I was like a kind of planning. Well, I'll probably I'll probably queen out on The Father, played by Michael Stuhlbarg. Um, and just kind of spoiler alert, I am going to queen out on that scene and talk about him because that I felt like Michael Stuhlbarg in this movie was really special and really interesting and if you you know if you've been if you've listened to the first two episodes of In the Details you know that I typically focus on women and I'm very excited about women in supporting roles but there's something about his performance that hits all the same notes for me and I'm excited to talk about that and to move on to something positive but I need to talk about this movie in a way that's not so positive. And I know going into this that there are a lot of people who might be listening who are big fans of this movie and love the story of it and, and really connect with it. And, I, and I, I appreciate all that. I'm not trying to kind of like yuck your yum and to be all Montessori about it, but like I cannot in good conscience follow the doctor to the bow when I good and goddamn well know it's underwater. And that is a deep cut Poseidon Venture reference, which you could totally get if you want to go check out my guest appearance on the No Good, Very Bad Gay podcast with Nick Kachanov, where we queened out about the Poseidon Adventure. And that right there was a shameless plug. Uh, and, but, and well integrated, I would say. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is like, I appreciate why people love this movie. And I'm not trying to say that they have bad taste or that people are like missing some huge thing and are stupid. I'm not criticizing that, but I can't talk about Call Me By Your Name and not talk about how incredibly creepy and predatory this story is and the absolute fetishization of grooming that is going on in this movie. And like, I just like, come on. So, okay. 
let let let's also just have this conversation up front. I'm I'm fully aware of age of consent laws because like, the whole the whole idea is that Elio is 17 and Oliver is 24. They're in Italy where the age of consent is like 14. But even if it was 16, like, oh, what's the big deal? What's the problem? And a lot of people come back to that, like, oh, it comes down to a number. I can, I, I hear you. And I'm not saying that what we're watching is illegal or a celebration of pedophilia. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Like, that's, that's too reductive. And I think this movie and everyone involved with it is smarter than that and better than that. But I am also watching this movie in a post-Nanette world. Now, I don't want to go too deep into Nanette, which is a, um, it's a recent Netflix special. It's a you know, one-woman show by this comedian, uh, Hannah Gadsby. It is unbelievable. I, I, I could go on and on about it, but we are going to be recording a separate episode all about Nanette on All Right, Mary, so I'd rather save all my thoughts for that. Um, but, you know, it's not a spoiler to say that I think it is a very important special and I don't want to like use that word loosely but I do feel like what she talks about in that uh, in Nanette is is really meaningful and necessary right now and I think it's speaking to a lot of people in a way that I have not seen things speak to a lot of people and so one of the things that she talks about in Nanette is um, having an art history degree she talks about kind of you know her experience with toxic masculinity in the world of art history and and in the history of art and in particular she focuses on Pablo Picasso and points out, you know, that he at one point does have an affair with a 17-year-old girl. And to Hannah Gadsby, she's like, that's it. I'm out. I'm not interested. I'm not celebrating this guy. Like, fuck cubism. I'll get over it. And I, I hear what she's saying. And I know that there's a lot of people who would say, well, you know, they'd say a lot of things. They'd say, what's the big deal? They'd say lots of 17-year-olds are having sex. They, they'd say lots of things. But I think, like, let's back up from, like, the need to defend this right away, right? And I'm not even saying you're doing that. I'm just, like, calling that out, you know, um, that that happens a lot. And I'm sure you've heard that. I think if we just bring this to a real-life situation, if one of your friends, and I'm going to assume you're, let's assume you're any, let's, 20s or up, but one of your friends says, yeah, I'm dating this 17-year-old, that doesn't weird you out. That doesn't ring any bells for you. That doesn't feel like, hmm, you sure about that one? Um, I just, I just don't see the appeal. I just don't get it. I just do not understand how that doesn't look like a child to you. And the fact that Call Me By Your Name via the casting has done such an elaborate job of extending the age gap between these two from 17 to 24 to more like 17 to 42. Because Army Hammer was 30 when they filmed this and he looked every fucking year of it. Let me tell you what. No knocks against Army Hammer, but that does not look like a 24-year-old. And Timothy Chalamet does look like a 17-year-old. And so... The, the dichotomy of their body types, if you didn't tell me that his, if you didn't tell me their ages, I'm going to assume that, that it, you know, Elio is like 15 and Oliver is, you know, late 30s. Just purely based on how they look, how they act, how they carry themselves in the movie, how they, not necessarily how they speak, because that's the other issue I have, is that Elio is painted as this fantasy version of the mature 17-year-old. And this is this god-awful justification that I think so many predators use of like, oh, well, he's, he's advanced for his age, or, you know, she's, you know, she grew up really fast, she's ready for this, like, look how she dresses, look how he talks, he knows all this about music, he must be ready for sex. 
Um, or the fact that he's maybe ready to have sex with a girl his own age. Uh, whereas I feel like that scene when they're playing volleyball and he's massaging Elio and then Elio pulls, pulls away or he, and he pulls away and then Oliver just like moves in closer and, and insists on touching him and insists on massaging him. And there's no consent there. I realize it's just a massage, but he's a 17-year-old boy. And this adult should know better than to be aggressively putting his hands on a 17-year-old boy. I'm sorry. And if that's not extreme enough, and if you feel like I'm being too sensitive on that one, let's move to some other nuances that I'm not really living for. Let's go all the way to the post-peach scene. The peach scene. I feel like there's the solo peach scene, which really tells you about how much Elio is ready for sex. If he's just like, well, let me see what it feels like. I'll fuck this peach. Spoiler alert. Okay, great, you know, explore. If it feels good and you're not hurting anybody, go for it. Like, then, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, like, he, yeah, he, like, fucks this peach and, you know, finishes in it, then, like, puts the peach on his side table and falls asleep. And then later, Oliver comes in and he wakes up and Oliver sees the peach on the table and then he takes it and he's kind of um, starting to kind of make fun of Elio a little bit. He's like, oh, wow, look, you've moved on to, to fruit now. And, um he's he's like, oh, wow, look how, you know, you're getting really sick. And he's like, oh, I could take this even further. And he is ignoring the boundary. He is, he is ignoring the shame. He is just doing what he wants to do. And he's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, now I'm going to play with it. Now I'm going to eat it. Now I'm going to, like, I am going to encroach upon your intimacy with yourself and your personal life so deeply that Elio starts to cry and says, you're hurting me. And Oliver's response is then stop resisting. Fuck you. Call me by your name. Fuck you. I, I, I can't like, are you kidding me? Why are we calling this sexy? Why are we calling this romantic? Then Elio breaks down and cries, and so then Oliver hugs him, and I'm like, great, now they've got a really sick relationship going where Oliver is both the instigator and the comforter. Perfect. This could go on long past the summer, or really once Oliver's done with him, right? And meanwhile, I mean, while I'm excited by this idea of these progressive parents who aren't worried about the uh, hints that their son might be gay, there's really no question of it. They're, they're really not stepping in the way of his sexuality one way or the other. They, they're just those kind of parents. And that's fine. I'm not saying they have to be more involved. But whereas they're not really concerned about Elio potentially having sex with, I think her name was, Mar I think he called her Marcy or Marcia. You know, his father is not terribly concerned when Elio tells him that he almost had sex with her. You know, regardless of concerns about her maybe getting pregnant, things like that. I don't know. Maybe they've had conversations about that already. I have no idea. But once he starts to get an inclination that this grown man, that this... 24-year-old man that he's invited into his home is now sniffing after his son. Why is, why is Ilya's father not concerned in the least? Why is this just a special relationship? Is it revealed in that monologue that what this is, is is really something that his father wasn't able to have? And so he's letting it happen because, you know, it's something he always wanted, but at least his son can have it. Is that what this is? Because that, to me, reads the same as like pageant, you know, pageant moms who put their three-year-old on stage because they themselves could never be a pageant queen, but they're going to make sure their kid fulfills their dreams. That's the story that's telling me. And so while I love that final monologue and I do want to clean out on it, because I want to talk about Michael Stuhlbarg's performance, I want to talk about the use of the single shot, I want to talk about 
the, you know, just the, the use of the type of dialogue, the emotional, you know, information of that scene. I love all of that. But I cannot come to any other conclusion as to why at no point his parents, you know, ha- have a moment of pause about what's going on between Oliver and Elio to the point that they willingly send them off to wherever they go on that, you know, that last final trip together. It's like, go for it. Go forth and, and make a peach out of my son. That's, a, that's essentially what's going on here. Um, that there's no concern about that. And it's, I, I, I just don't, I don't know why we're supposed to see that as, oh, look how permissive these parents are and not see this as like, shouldn't you be concerned? Shouldn't you be like, shouldn't you at least be asking some questions? Shouldn't you be having some conversation? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I've made my point. Um, but then, so then they go on that, then they go on that final little trip. And then once Oliver is done, you know, once he's, once he's put enough of himself inside of Elio. And I mean that, you know, literally and figuratively, cause like, let's back up this whole concept of call me by your name. Like that is like, classic grooming shit that happens in a toxic relationship where it's like, let me take away your identity. You're now mine. You're now a part of me. What you think is what I think. Let me isolate you. All of this is toxic. And then, and then when Oliver's done with him, because, you know, it's like, well, just these six weeks, once he's done, he's done. And then he moves on. He gets on the train and he disappears. And that's the end of it. And I think to go back to like, just the the difference between being 17 and 24 it's like when you're in your 20s having a hot summer romance for six weeks nbd comes with the territory but when you're 17 and this is your first sexual experience i think that oliver should know better than to put him through this but oliver is you know are we what are we supposed to think that he's in love don't like come on Come on, I'm not as dumb as I dress. Come on. So then Oliver leaves, and that's the end. And then we flash forward to the winter. And Oliver, of course, calls with the terrible news that he's getting married. And, you know, Elio kind of has to take that on the chin. It's a, it's a, it's a sense of rejection that he's not prepared for. And, of course, that comes to us all in whatever form. There is that first heartbreak. And I recognize that. Um, it was at a more appropriate age. And I'm not here to say what's appropriate and what's not, but I guess I kind of am. I guess I'm trying to say is that it wasn't when I was 17 with some grown man who should have known better. And so that all happens, and they have that last phone call, and Oliver or Elio tries to, you know, I guess it makes sense that I'd confuse their names because he, he tries to kind of bring in the call me by your name, uh, you know, spell, you know, tries to kind of invoke that again. And... I feel like for Oliver, it's like, I think he says something like, you know, I never forgot. I, I remember everything. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. That in a buck 50, you'll get halfway across the park. You know what I mean? So then that's the end. And then we are left with that face journey, which I, like, I can't believe. I will. I, it's tough because I hate the story, but I love the movie. You know what I mean? I love the filmmaking. I, lo- I mean, Timothy Chalamet really does a fantastic job, especially in that last scene. I love the dedication to the face journey. I love that. I mean, this was probably, this was one of the longest I've ever seen. I mean, this goes far beyond the one in birth with Nicole Kidman, which I've always kind of held as something of a gold standard. Um, this was really impressive. And I think at the same time, what it was also showing us was, this is what this kid is left in. Like, this is the state this kid is left in. This is what this did to him. And this is not a happy ending. 
And so to me, this is not like, this is, should not be considered a love story. Um, I had kind of mentioned on Twitter, kind of, you know, just kind of put some feelings out there and, and someone tweeted, because I said, you know, is this, this isn't supposed to be a love story, right? And um, someone responded, well, I, I would consider it a life story, maybe not a love story. And I thought, well, that's a really accurate way to look at this. Okay, so now that I've shit on the movie extensively, I just need to get that all out of my system. Um, I am trying to still bring an All Right Mary kind of approach to this because that's not all just a shtick for a podcast. Like, I really do want to look at, like, all the perspectives here. And so one of the elements that I've heard from multiple people is, like, you really should read the book, that that really fills in a lot of the gaps, and there's kind of more of the story towards the end. We, we find out more about what happens next. And the book is also told, like, looking back. And so to me, I feel like this story certainly resonates if we're seeing it through... Elio's eyes, because I understand that idea of like that sort of first love, you know, wanting someone at a young age who like, well, that's never going to happen. But now I'm, I'm understanding what it means to, to be attracted to someone. I'm understanding what it means to be drawn to someone. I'm understanding what I am drawn to, you know, I mean, maybe I wasn't in Italy, maybe Army Hammer didn't come stay at my house for six weeks. But you know, sometimes you got to call yourself by your own name. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you got to just like spend time getting to know how to pronounce your own name. So I am looking forward to reading the book and kind of getting that context and all of those nuances. I think that that will really help. I um, I don't know. I guess I just feel like if I just stopped there and was like, well, fuck, call me by your name. I'm done. Uh, I would probably be doing a disservice, you know, and I feel like there's more interesting conversations to have. And so my intention is for an upcoming episode, we're going to revisit this after having read the book and having a guest on who is a big fan of the movie and the book and the story to just kind of have a multi-sided conversation about this. And I have gotten all of the piss and vinegar out of my system, and so I won't be hating on it quite so hard. And so in an effort to, you know, bring a little bit more of a positive point of view to this movie, because I think it is a sum of its parts, and it is, again, it's really strange uh, to kind of dissect that because it's so well made it's so it's so beautifully shot it's so well acted i love the editing i love the way that certain scenes end in like interesting parts of like of a a conversation or, or really just kind of odd unexpected notes the way you end a scene it's kind of like then it changes the entire scene that just happened before that moment and i feel like that they accomplish that often with this movie and i was like really into all of that and it was like i felt like i was creating two different piles it was like okay here's things i'm really liking about this movie and here's things i'm really not liking about this movie and so one of the things that was in the i really like pile of course was michael stuhlbarg's performance as elio's father and i'm surprised he wasn't nominated for a best supporting actor oscar because this really felt like uh, a, a kind of a quintessential uh, kind of role to get nominated for. I felt like, like, I think that one of the elements of getting nominated is having a moment, you know? I mean, certainly Beatrice Strait in Network, I mean, that's that's the entirety pretty much of her performance. But I think for Michael Stuhlbarg, he's, he's in the movie throughout and he has a number of scenes, but it's not really until that final heart-to-heart with Elio that we really spend enough time with him and we really get to like see the nuances of him and who he really is. And I think we learn something entirely new about this man in this scene. And much like Beatrice Strait, it's like the economy of that, um, of what of what he accomplishes and certainly what the script accomplishes in that moment. Right now you may not want to feel anything. Maybe you never wanted to feel anything. And uh, maybe it's not to me you want to speak about these things, but uh, 
feel something you obviously did. Look, you had a beautiful friendship. Maybe more than a friendship. And I envy you. In my place, most parents would hope the whole thing goes away. Pray their sons land on their feet, but I am not such a parent. We rip out so much of ourselves to be cured of things faster that we go bankrupt by the age of 30 and have less to offer each time we start with someone new. But to make yourself feel nothing so as not to feel anything, what a waste. When he starts to talk about sitting with the feelings that hurt and not tearing out those parts of yourself that are painful, and sort of the idea that, that by tearing out the things that are painful in your life, you also tear out what's joyful, and that you kind of can't pick and choose. to You know, you, you have it all or you have none of it, and you have to make space for all of that. And I'll say one more thing. It'll clear the air. I may have come close, but I never had what you two have. Something always held me back, or stood in the way. I could be interpreting this wrong, but I really did read this as like his father, you know, maybe had, you know, maybe there, maybe there were men in his past that he had sort of developed these kind of relationship with, but stopped it. I mean, maybe the suggestion that was, was just that his relationship with his wife was not that special, and it wasn't necessarily that there was, you know, any uh, confusion or question of his sexuality. It was just the idea of having a special relationship. How you live your life is your business. Just remember, our hearts and our bodies are given to us only once. And before you know it, your heart's worn out. And as for your body, there comes a point when no one looks at it, much less wants to come near it. Right now, there's sorrow, pain. Don't kill it. And with it, the joy you felt. And I think there's a lot about this. I was I was talking about the scene from Edge of Seventeen, and in that scene, um, you know, the the mother, it's it's sort of the classic situation where her son comes out to her and she says, "I know," and she hugs him and they cry, and then she says, "You know, what did I do wrong?" And and he says, "Nothing," and and she just, you know, she just says, "I, I don't, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this," and um, and it's it's kind of I feel like for a time it really personified or really like wrapped up I think the experience for like so many gay kids of like either their parents knowing or their parents not really knowing how to handle it or just kind of being in that gray area of like are you okay you haven't been like kicked out of the house but like things are definitely weird now and there's like a whole new area that everyone has to navigate and I thought that Edge of 17 really captured that feeling really well. Um, wasn't necessarily emblematic of my own experience. Um, the part where my parents already knew, yes, but uh, I think we all handled it really well. And so sort of comparing that as an example of, 
of something. And that again, the movie I think that movie is set in 1984, and was made in 1998. And so when you compare that, something that was made 20 years ago but set in the same period of time to Call Me by Your Name, where it's 1983, but you know was made now was made with this point of view that like there isn't even a question of not knowing how to handle this or not knowing what to say i mean his father even says you know what you do with your personal life is up to you but like the most important thing is like you really you get one shot at this life and that goes for everybody and so don't waste that and don't take that for granted and there isn't even a question of not knowing how to handle it um and this isn't even supposed to be an example of how you should handle you know, talking about uh, your your child coming out or your child, you know, discovering their sexuality. Like, there's no one way to do that. The way that you're supposed to, the way that you're supposed to interact with your gay son or daughter is however you're supposed to interact with your son or daughter. <laughs> it's going to be different. And the whole gay thing is nuanced, you know? And so, uh, you know, just, I don't know. That's my point of view on it. I, there's, there's no, I don't see this as like, oh, every father should be like this father. Because like maybe every son doesn't need this kind of father, you know? But I think what I like about this scene and really kind of Michael Stuhlbarg's performance in the entire movie is there is this feminine energy. I don't know if that's supposed to inform some kind of underlying homosexuality with this father or if that's just how he is, if that's just the dynamic. Because uh, his mother is certainly... She's um, she's very handsome. She has she has she has certainly a, a masculine energy. Um, she feels a bit more in control, where the where the father feels a bit more of the emotional one. You know, a bit more of the um, I don't know, like just feels more like the what the mother character would be in so many other movies. And I think we see that in that um, Elio's mother picks him up from the train station and they drive home. We see them driving home in silence. And that's such a cliche of like driving home in silence with the father. And then the heart to heart at home is with his father, whereas you might expect it to be with either the more emotional conversation to be with the mother and that the father would be this character who like doesn't know how to navigate this. But I think there are plenty of straight couples where, where the, the man is more of a more sensitive, more feminine, and the wife is, is more masculine or more aggressive. And that's just their dynamic. And so we just don't see that in movies in that in a way that isn't mocked because I think so many times people go right to this place of like, oh, look at him. He, the, the father's less of a man. He's so weak, you know? And of course, always ties it to, oh, he must be gay. And I realize, again, that sounds like what I'm saying, but it's, it's because of the sense from that monologue that there was an, an unlived life and that there were things his father had kind of ripped out and had extracted from himself um, and kind of started to bankrupt himself. I mean, so much of what he was saying was, clearly coming from a personal place. You could see the pain in his eyes. You could see the regret in his eyes. And um, the fact that Michael Stuhlbarg doesn't overplay any of that, and yet it comes through so strongly, um, is, again, I'm, I'm just so surprised. I just, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is shoo-in for an Oscar. So I should really look and see who else was nominated this year. Well, with the magic of editing, I was able to go look up who the supporting actor nominations were for the 2018 Oscars, and I'm now actually recording this the next day. Because um, I realized, ooh, I need to, I need to finish this podcast. Um, so I, I guess it makes sense. This was the year that Sam Rockwell won for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. That would also be this year. That would also be like, I don't know what, seven months ago. So um, you probably remember. Uh, but also nominated that year was Christopher Plummer in All the Money in the World. And wasn't that? Wasn't he like digi digitally transposed in to 
um, fill in for Kevin Spacey because Kevin Spacey was too busy hitting on uh, teenage boys. Um, and then uh, Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water, which I did not see because something happens to a cat in that movie. So that's the end of that story. Uh, Woody Harrelson for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which, uh, yeah, sure, he was great. I feel like he's kind of like, uh, he's like the Annette Benning, right, of Best Supporting Actor nominations. He kind of gets them, but he hasn't quite gotten over the hump of winning. Um, and then Willem Dafoe in The Florida Project, and I heard that movie was amazing, and so I'm not going to take that away from him, because at least it puts that movie's name, you know, on the map a little bit more. Um, I haven't seen it yet, so uh, put that on the list. I'm sure it's, like, littered with nuance. Um, anyway, so I guess I understand why Michael Stuhlberg might have been, uh, Stuhlbarg, I think is actually how I pronounce it, why he may have been shut out from the nominations. But that being said, it doesn't take away from the fact that it really is uh, within a movie that I obviously have issues with. It really is an incredible uh, piece of acting, and um, certainly the dialogue in that moment is, is really incredible and um, so true, and obviously totally transcends gay, straight, whatever. I think it's just like truth. And so... Um, I will, again, I'm so willing to see this movie as the sum of its parts, and the parts that I love, I really do love. Anyway, I, I know that I said a lot today about Call Me By Your Name, and if you are a big fan of that movie, I'm sorry if I shit on it for 20 minutes. I needed to get my feelings out, you know? And I don't think that you would be getting my honest take on things if I didn't put it all that way. But that being said, I'm still very open to having more conversations about it. As I said, there's going to be an upcoming episode after I've read the book and a chance to bring on a guest who's a big fan of the movie um, and just kind of see other perspectives because I have found other people who do agree or do have the same response to the movie that I do. And I've then, of course, seen lots of people who love it. Just before I started recording again tonight, I rewatched that peach scene that I was talking about, and I was just as frustrated by it. And and just to correct myself, I said earlier that, that Oliver says, well, then stop resisting. And he actually says, um, well, then stop fighting um, or, or don't fight me or something like that. It's um, ugh, watching it again. I was like, nope, nope, no doubts here. Still fucked up. But anyway, I've, I have made that point abundantly clear. Um, that being said, I would love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to drop me an email at detailspod at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Colin Drucker. Besides all that, I'd love to hear other recommendations, other requests. Uh, thank you to, um, to Aaron, who sent in an email, uh, a celebration of Kim Stanley. And I just want to acknowledge that email just made my heart swell. I was like, okay. There are people out there who get what I'm doing. And I know, Aaron, you're not the only one. I know there's lots of people out there who totally get it. And I just want to say thank you. Like, it, that means a lot more than I'm expressing here. Uh, so all, if you are feeling what I'm putting out, uh, I'd love for you to head over to iTunes, leave a rating and a review. Um, and of course, you can also catch me every week on my other podcast, All Right Mary, if you are a fan of drag race and drag adjacent content. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, and it bears repeating, you can also hear me on the most recent episode of the No Good, Very Bad Gay podcast with Nick Kachanov, where we are talking about the Poseidon Adventure and Best Supporting Actress nominee, Shelley Winters. Um, anyway, I think that's all from me. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of In the Details and celebrating just a little bit more nuance with me this week. And I look forward to chatting with you again next week to dive into the nuance, into the micro moments, into the acting choices, into the details. Bye, everybody. <laughs>